go. The Matthew revealed in the sun. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you the rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Thank you, Carissa. So, Lord, we pray that you speak to us. We pray that you would speak to us about this rest that you invite us into. What is it? What does it look like? How do we come? What does that mean? What does rest for our soul look like? How do we know that we need it? How do we know that we don't have it? In your name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So when Jesus, a few questions that come to mind with, when I look at this, when Jesus says, come to me, you know, it's an invitation, it's also a command, come to me. What does it mean to come to me? What does that mean practically? How do we come to Jesus? And why Jesus? What makes him the source of rest? What makes him the one who can give us this rest for our soul? What does it mean to take his yoke upon us and learn from him? What's a yoke? <laughs> how, do we, how do we learn from him through this yoke? What does it mean to have an easy yoke, a light burden? These are questions that pop up in my mind. Last week I said to you guys, uh, I, you know, I asked a question, who's tired, who's weary, physically weary, emotionally, spiritually? A number of you raised your hands. And I said, next week we're going to be talking about that. Put it in an email yesterday. There's all kinds of weariness. Today we're really talking about the weariness of our soul, but it manifests in different ways. Like, for example, you could be physically tired because your newborn baby's keeping you up at night. And I got nothing for you for today for that. I can give you tips afterwards about what I used to shove down my kids' throats to get them to sleep. Just kidding. Just kidding. But you could also be physically tired because you're up worrying, stressing, your mind's racing, you're doing too much, you're hurried and you're harried, and your mind won't shut off. And so today, we'll speak to that. You could be emotionally drained because of various reasons. Maybe there's a crisis situation a major problem that you've been facing, that you've been trying to resolve, you've been trying to fix. Maybe it's with another person and you've talked to them and you've sat down with them and it hasn't worked out. Or, you, or, or, or it seems like it worked out, but there's still this awkwardness when you go to the office. There's this awkwardness when you have the family gathering and it's draining on you and you just have this feeling of, I can't take it, I can't take this relationship. Or this marriage, we've been working on this, we've been working on this. It feels like we take three steps forward and then four steps back. And then we got to climb out of a hole, and then it's three steps forward and four steps back, and then it gets to a point where it's like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I don't have the energy to do this anymore. Sometimes it's a million little things nipping at us, and a bunch of million little problems that keep coming, keep nipping at us, and we're just like, man, the pressure is the pressure to respond. It's not a major crisis. It's just a bunch of little things constantly 
people pulling at us, work pulling at us. We feel like we can never just sit and rest. Our soul's always feeling like it's behind, always trying to catch up. Then there's a kind of spiritual weariness that comes, even, even if we feel like you know, we, we get enough physical rest and we don't have a lot of, of burdens going on, there can just be this spiritual weariness that comes because we feel like, we end the day feeling like, I'm not justifying my existence enough. I'm not doing enough good. I'm not earning my keep in life. I'm wondering, is God happy with me or is he disappointed with me? Am I measuring up? That can be wearisome. We don't always even like, know that we're feeling this. But it can wear on us. And so what we're talking about today, the title that I'm calling it, The Rest for the Childlike. That's the title. Rest for the Childlike. Because that's what Jesus offers rest for. Or who? It's a childlike. So we're going to walk through this passage that Christian just read. We're going to walk through it again. We're going, to, we're going to try to answer those questions. Who is this rest for? Because it's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to experience it. And why, why is it Jesus? Why is he the one that offers this kind of rest? So let's, let's jump right back into it. We're going to start in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said. What time? The context of this, if you were to read, we didn't, we're not covering this today, but the beginning of chapter 11, the context of it is he has just been pronouncing judgment on various cities who have rejected him as Messiah. They've seen his miracles, and they're rejecting him as Messiah, and so he's declaring, pronouncing a coming judgment on them. And it's at that time, at that time of pronouncing this judgment on those who are rejecting him as Messiah— They've seen his works. They've seen his miracles. And they said, nah, that's not, that's not our Messiah. So at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So Jesus praises the Father, gives thanks to the Father for the way he operates. And how does he operate? Well, for those who are arrogant and prideful, and think they have it all figured out, the wise and the learned in their own eyes, those who think that they've got it all figured out, they're self-sufficient, Jesus is saying, I praise you, Father, you've hidden these truths from them. They're boastful, they're proud, they're not willing to admit their neediness, but you have revealed these truths, the truths about him as Messiah, you have revealed these truths to the childlike to little children, to those who are like little children. In this time, the first century, little children were, were not seen as very important. So he's saying you have revealed them to those who have renounced their self-importance. They have renounced their self-sufficiency. That's who the Father has revealed these truths to. So one Im implication here is, is that it's the Father, it's God the Father who draws us, opens our hearts and our eyes to see Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. Like I'm a Christian, not because I wised up, smartened up, had some special knowledge that somebody else didn't have. I'm a Christian because the Father drew me to the Son. He opened my blind eyes, softened my hard heart, helped me to see my neediness, and then helped me to see that it was Jesus who fulfills and answers that neediness. 
And that's the same for anybody in here who's a follower of Jesus. It's the Father who draws us. And, and Jesus is praising the Father for, for flipping upside down the way the world operates. It's the wise and the learned who are on top. And they're the ones that everybody else is submitted to and subjected to. And Jesus is saying, praise you, Father. You flipped that whole thing upside down. The wise and the learned are now the blind ones. Blind in their arrogance and the childlike, the needy. Those who are willing to admit that they are not self-sufficient, they... They're the ones who are, have the, the truths revealed to them. And then he says this in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. So all authority is given to the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So here Jesus speaks of the unity between the Father and the Son. The unity amongst the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. There's a unity there. There's a oneness there. And Jesus says, if because they're one, Jesus has the same authority of God the Father. He carries that same authority. And so he, being the only gateway to the Father, nobody can come to the Father. Nobody has access to God the Father. Nobody can have a relationship with God the Father unless the Son says, he's with me. He's with me. He's like a bouncer, right, at a club. Nobody gets in except you're riding on his coattails. Oh, he's with me. He's with me. He's with me. Now, this can sound exclusive because it is exclusive. And, and it can sound unloving to say, well, wait, you know, wait a second. How can Jesus say this? How can the Bible say this? How can Christians believe this, that Jesus is the only way? You, you, you see, if you put these things together, these two passages that we just looked at, the Father opens our eyes to see the Son, and then once we know the Son, then and only then can we know the Father. See how that works? It's just this unity, this, this oneness. And so it makes Jesus stand out from any other religious figure. I know it sounds super tolerant and loving to say that, you know, Jesus is one way. There's the Christian God and the Muslim God and the Buddhist God. And there's maybe a sun God and trees can be your God. And, you know, so long as you have something as God, it's all good. It sounds tolerant. It sounds loving. But it's, it's not. It's not because we don't translate that into any other area where uh, authority and submission to authority is required. If my daughter Kayla came home and, and said, I didn't do my homework today, and the teacher yelled at me, but, and I said, but guess what? My teacher's not my teacher anymore. I decided to make my friend Kaylee my teacher. And my friend Kaylee, my new teacher, said I don't have to do the homework. It wouldn't be loving of me to say, all right, sweetie, so long as somebody's your teacher, that's cool. Right? I'd be like, no, sweetie, you've got to listen to your teacher. Otherwise, you're going to get a bad grade. Kaylee's not going to be able to give you a good grade. Maybe a bad example. Maybe a bad example. Let's say, let's say I have rules in the house, right? I tell Tessa, she's playing in the street. Tessa, stop playing in the street. You know the rule. No playing in the street. Cars are whizzing by. And she goes out, and she sits under a tree. And 10 minutes later, she comes back and says, Dad, I decided to make that tree my other dad. And that tree, I was listening, and I feel like that tree said it's okay to play in the street. It wouldn't be loving for me to say, all right, sweetie, so long as somebody's your dad, that's cool. So long as you have some dad to submit to, right? But that's what we do. And so every different idea of God has different versions of the way for us to find fulfillment, fulfillment in life. And it would not be loving of Jesus to say, hey, it's all cool. There's many ways. No, Jesus loves us too much. And he's like, no, 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 no. The only one who can bring you to the Father is me. I'm the only one. Why? Because he's the only one who will die and will rise again. Conquer the grave. Pay for our sins. 
And for us to reject him, or for us to say that there's many different ways, is still to reject him. It's still to say, nah, you don't need to die for me. Nah, you don't need to rise from the dead for me. In the election of 1860, Abraham Lincoln was, was elected. He won. A lot of folks in the South didn't like that. They couldn't do anything about it. He was still the president. Unless, unless, unless they either assassinated him or they seceded from the Union and made somebody else their president. And that's what they tried to do. Both those things. So when we say, oh, there's many ways, there's gonna, I'm going to have another, I'm going to have another God, I'm going to have another Savior, I don't need Jesus, we're saying, we're seceding from the union, so to speak. We are declaring war, even if we don't consciously say it, declaring war on the God of the universe. You didn't have to die for me, I'm doing my own thing, I got my own God. Now, again, this sounds exclusive, but it is incredibly loving if Jesus is who he said he is. If he is the only one who rose from the dead, if he is the only one who has this true life for us, then it would be not loving of him to say, yeah, go over there, go over there, it's all cool. Go play in the street, it's all cool. Now, what does this have to do with rest? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you were wondering. I'm glad you were wondering, because it is this Jesus, it is this Jesus, if he's, the, if he's one with the Father, if he's got the same authority as God the Father, and if he's just been declaring judgment on those cities that have been rejecting him as the Messiah, then in light of who he is, he says this. He says this. Come to me. Come to me. The one who died and rose again. Come to me. The one who is in unity with the Father. The one who has all authority. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So come. All you got to do is come. But you've got to come to him. If you won the raffle, and they called out, you know, they're on the microphone, and they say, okay, the winning number here, da 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 who's got the winning number, and you had the winning number, you'd have to come down to get your, get your prize. But if you stood back there and you said, uh-uh, I ain't going down there. I, I don't want to admit that I'm needy. I don't, I, don't, I don't need any prize. I got enough. Then you ain't going to get the prize. And so when Jesus says, come to me, if we're thinking, nah, I'm good, I got it together, then we're not going to get this rest that he is offering. We're not going to get this peace of salvation that he is that he is offering. All who are weary and burdened. So he's speaking to those people who are being drawn by the Father. The, the, the Father is drawing people to see Jesus for who he is. He's drawing people to see how needy they are. He's drawing people to see how, how uh, much they lack self-sufficiency, how much they, 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 they don't have it together. They, their souls aren't as healthy as they thought. Helping them to realize that, to confess that, and he's drawing them to see that Jesus is the answer. At this time, the people of Israel were being beaten down, weighed down by uh, a heavy religious burden from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Basically being given the impression that you've got to fulfill all these laws in order to find favor with God, in order to enter his kingdom. And they were feeling condemned constantly probably comparing themselves to those religious leaders, comparing themselves to each other. How am I doing on this scale? And it's a tiring way to live. And Jesus is saying, those of you who are weary from all that, you come to me. You're weary from those religious games, you come to me. 
You weary from trying to measure up constantly and wondering how you're doing, feeling like you're failing? Come to me. And he says that to you and I. Come to me. Are you tired? Are you willing to admit you're tired? Are you willing to admit that your soul is sick? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Are you willing to admit that this, this is a way of living, comparing yourself to the next person to feel justified, and then comparing yourself to the other person and feeling condemned? Are you willing to admit that that's a tiring way to live? Come to me. Come to me. Man-made religion is a burden that's tiresome and wearisome. And Jesus is saying, I want to free you from that. I want to free you from that exhaustion. Those who are tired and not afraid to admit it, come to me and I'll give you rest. Now, what kind of rest? What, what does that mean specifically? We're going to come back to that. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke. So a yoke at the time, um, a yoke was, would be put on two oxen, and the stronger, more mature oxen would kind of guide along the less mature one. The less mature ox would kind of learn from and be guided by the more mature one, right? They got this thing on their backs, and they're, he's learning, and he's teaching them. And so by the first century, a yoke was, was uh, referred to uh, your obligation to God, right? It was your, the, 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 the yoke of what you owe God, the Mosaic law yoke, the yoke of the commandments. You're given this, and so religious leaders were piling on a heavy yoke. You've got to do this, 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 and this. You've got to do this, 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 and this. And it was heavy. And Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. I'm going to give you a different yoke. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to yoke you to myself. And I'm going to be the, the, the one who guides you along and carries you along and teaches you. And it's not going to be a heavy, some burdensome yoke where you're constantly worrying how you're doing. It's going to be easy. It's going to be light. For I am humble and gentle in heart. Why does he say that? Well, think about it. Think about it. He's just declared that, that he's one with the Father. He's got all authority. He's the king. He's just said that. But he's going to show them how humble he is, how, how low he stooped. The king of the universe got off his throne and got into a baby. Like, ain't that crazy? The king of the universe gets into a baby. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. The king of the universe gets into a womb, into a baby, into our suffering, our mess, lives obediently, to the law of Moses, in our place, gets on a cross and dies. So he's humble, he's lowly, he stoops down, he gets into the mess with us, for us. And then he came out of the grave victorious, conquering it. So he says, yoke yourself to me. I'm humble, I'm gentle. I came low to your level. I took on your burden. I paid the debt for you. I fulfilled the law in your place. You don't have to constantly, you, if you come to me, you don't have to constantly wonder if you're measuring up. You don't have to say, well, I think I'm saved or I'm trying to be. I mean, I've talked to people who say, are you a Christian? Yes. So, oh, so you're, you're going to be in heaven with me. Oh, I hope so. N no, if you're a Christian, there's no hope so. It's guaranteed. You're in the family of God. Jesus paid for it. Either he paid for it or he didn't pay for it. Either he paid for it or he didn't pay for it. I'm humble and gentle heart. And then because of that, you can find rest for your souls. And this is an echo. When Jesus said this, it's an echo of Jeremiah 6.16. Where God, Yahweh, said to the Israelites, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So when Jesus references this, he is, he is making it abundantly clear that he is offering the kind of rest that only Yahweh, only the God can offer somebody. He's claiming to be God once again. There's no mistaking it. 
I am giving you the rest. I am offering you the kind of rest that only the God of the universe, Yahweh, can offer somebody. So now the question is, what does it look like? What does it look like specifically and practically for our souls? I want to just spend the last few minutes giving you three points. Three kinds of rest that our souls get in Jesus. If you want to take notes, you can take notes. But, but really, I, I'm, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will highlight for you maybe one or two of these areas that you really need to trust him with. So Lord, do that. I just pray that you do that, that you would highlight for each of us one or two areas that we need to trust you more fully in so that we can experience this rest. A lot of us claim to know you and we've trusted in you and we're in your family, but we don't live in this rest. In so many ways, we live like atheists while we sing about you. Help us, Jesus. All right, so number one, we can rest from being in control because Jesus is in control. Remember, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be Yahweh. He claimed to have all authority. He claimed to be one with the Father. He's going to go and prove it by raising from the dead. The guy who comes back from the dead has more control than I do. And yet, I try to be in control too darn much. Anybody else? And what a tiresome, exhausting way to live. He's in control. I don't have to be. And there's so many ways that I struggle with this. One way I was, somebody, you know, that I know might be acting like a fool in an area of their life. And I get concerned and I want to point it out to them because I care for them. It's not working. And then all of a sudden, my desire to love them slips into this anxiety. I got to convince them. I got to persuade them. And I try to think of another way to talk to them. Ah, maybe if I say this, maybe if I say it that way. That's an anxious way to live. Jesus, hey, be responsible, be faithful, say what you say, and then leave it in my hands. Trust me with the results. I can struggle with that at times. Always trying to figure, ah, maybe I'll say it this way. And you can say, well, Chris, you care about people. If my care for somebody leads to me trying to persuade them of something in my own strength, then number one, ultimately it's not caring for them, and number two, my soul won't be at rest. My soul won't be at rest. Maybe you need to have everything in order and neat and clean in your life, your house, your car. That's cool. Be responsible. Clean your house. Take care of your yard. But when your kid spills something on your carpet or the dog digs more holes in your yard, which is bound to happen, or somebody in the parking lot opens their door and slams in the yard and you get there and there's a dent and nobody leaves you a note, you can be reminded, you know what? This world's not my home. I belong to a God who's in control. He's got a kingdom waiting for me. These are just reminders that this world is not my home. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to rest. I don't need these things in order for my soul to be at rest. I don't need my house to be clean all the time in order for me to feel like the world is right. Maybe it's your health and safety, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. There's no control over that. Be responsible, right? If you got vitamins, you should take, take them. If you should change your diet, change it. If you should exercise more, exercise more. Be responsible. But at the end of the day, I was reading in the book of James this morning, my, my daily reading, James 4, reminded us, hey, don't forget, we're but a vapor. Tomorrow you could die. 
right? You could take all the right pills and get the right medication and, you know, stay away from anybody who has any germs and then get hit by a bus tomorrow. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Just a reminder. You're not in control. Be responsible, but don't let that slip into trying to control because that's a restless way to live. He's in control. He died. He rose again. He's got resurrection waiting for us, even if that bus comes along tomorrow. He's in control. We can rest. We can rest. So what might you be trying to control right now? Another person? A family member? A friend? Trying to fix somebody too much? You're trying to, uh, you name it. Bunch of different examples I could give, but we're going to move on. Number two, we can rest from our need to be accepted by others because Jesus paid for our eternal adoption. What did he say? I'm gentle and lowly. He stooped low. He got on a cross. That payment on the cross was him paying for our adoption. If we, if we accept him as Savior and Lord, we're put in his family forever. There's no getting kicked out of that family once we're in. There's no day where I screw up and he's like, you know what, Chris, I really thought that you were going to be better. There's a door. We, we had a, a three-year trial run and I need an out. You got to read the bottom. There's a clause at the bottom of this whole thing. No, it doesn't do, he doesn't do that. He knows I'm going to screw up tomorrow. He knows I'm going to screw up next week, and I'm in forever. And so if I'm eternally accepted by God the Father because of the payment of God the Son, I don't need other people to accept me. I'd like them to. I'd like you to like me. I'd like you to think well of me. It's nice to be celebrated. It's better than being criticized, right? So it's okay to have that desire, but when that desire slips into a need and it becomes an idol, well, guess what? People don't tend to treat us like God treats us. If God, he, he accepts us on the basis of what Jesus did. Other people love you one day, the next day incredibly offended by you. Anybody else experience that? Right? You can be friends with somebody one day. Oh, we're so close. And then six months later, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. That happens all the time. Because people are fickle, and we're fickle, and we offend, and they offend. God the Father's not like that. And so we don't have to constantly be, like if, 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 if somebody being upset with you means you lose sleep for days, then there's probably an, a way that you need to trust more fully in what Jesus has done for you, where their acceptance has taken the place of Jesus' acceptance of you. And there's a repentance needed. God, I'm sorry, I put that person too high. Now, just like the first one, where we need to be responsible, trust him to be in control, but we need to be responsible. With this one, we, we need to love people. We don't get to say, well, I don't need people then. No, 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 no. You are called to be in close proximity to people and love them and be hurt by them and still love them because Jesus has accepted us forever. He's freed us. He's freed us from the need to get them to like us and accept us. And our only job, and it made it really simple, just love them. Don't worry about it, them accepting you and liking you and loving you back. That's, that's for me to figure out. You just love them. Oh, that simplifies it. If that's our only goal, right, so I'm in a conflict with somebody. I sit down with them. What's my job? Okay, I'm going to apologize where I can apologize. Explain where there's misunderstanding. And then they might still be mad at me. Well, God, that's, 
that's on you now. You trust, I'll, I'll trust, trust you with that. I do my part. I'll continue to try to take steps towards them. Or I have to confront somebody about something, right? Their, their issue, I'm concerned about them, their addiction. Hey, listen, listen, I'm concerned about you. I can't, I can't base whether or not I go to them based on how I think they're going to receive it and whether or not they're going to like me afterwards. You've got to assume they're not going to like you afterwards. But still go, you know what, do I love them enough to point this out knowing that there's a good chance they're not going to like me afterwards? If Jesus' acceptance is the biggest deal that we're resting in, then we're free to do that. I don't need you to accept me. I just need to love you. That's my call. So is that one for you where you need to rest more fully in his acceptance of you? Number three, last one. We can rest from having to prove ourselves because Jesus proved himself on our behalf. That yoke that he gives us, right? It's light. It, 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 there's commands for us to obey, but not in order to earn anything. But because we're already in the kingdom. And it's, hey, th- this is what our family does. And he gives us his spirit that changes our desires so that what used to not be desirable is. Obeying him used to be stressful for folks who were under the law trying to earn favor from God. But for those of us who are children who have his spirit, it should be freeing. Hey, I want to obey him because I know that way is better. It's going to lead to more joy and peace. But it's not to prove anything. It's not to justify our existence in the world. Without Jesus, that's our temptation, is to go through life trying to justify our existence through our accomplishments, through our successes, whether it's as a father, a mother, a business owner, maybe in ministry, maybe being the person that um, everybody goes to in your family. You're the responsible one. I got to fix it. I fix people's problems. Or I'm the caretaker. Everybody goes to me and I have to take care of everybody. And there's this pressure, I got to do it, I got to fix it, I got to help, I can't say no. In the movie Rocky, um, teacher Tim Keller pointed this out, in the movie Rocky, in the part one, the best one, right? Rocky Balboa says to Adrian, I want to go the distance with Apollo Creed. All I want to do is go the distance because then I'll know I'm not a bum. Then I'll know my existence is justified. I'm not a bum. And that's what you and I, we're, always, we're on this mad scramble to prove we're not bums. And I'll prove it this way, and I'll prove it that way. And once we find that we're good at something and people are patting us on the back, oh, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm the guy who does this. My daughter is Sienna. She's really good at gymnastics, but the temptation is going to be for her, and we remind her of this all the time. She's the one who does this, and she's got to keep this, this plate spinning. He says, sweetie, you can quit anytime you want. What happens if you blow your knee out in a few years? Who are you going to be? You going to be okay? We had that conversation recently. Is your worth identity wrapped up in this? That's always going to be our temptation. Whatever we're good at, we get pats on the back for, and then we get afraid of failing. In the movie The Company Man, another, another one, Ben Affleck plays a um, corporate guy who gets laid off, fired during the, the crash of 2008. And he spirals because he doesn't know who he is. And his brother-in-law, played by Te- Kevin Costner, uh, offers him work as a, in, in his construction business. But he's like, I don't want, I'm not a blue-collar guy. This is not who I am. I'm this guy. I'm the guy who goes to the golf club, right? His whole identity was wrapped up in his job and who he was. And it came crashing down. And now he didn't know who he was. And that's who we are. 
on a mad scramble to prove our existence, to prove we're not bums, without Jesus. But if we know Jesus, we get to come to him and say, oh, that's right. You proved yourself in my place. I can rest now. I'm free to fail. I'm free to fail. I'm free to mess up and confess it. I'm free to hear somebody criticize me and go, I'm probably worse than you're even thinking I am. And God knows it. But he paid for it. And he loves me anyway. When, 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 when I come to God the Father, I keep looking at the cross. If you're on camera, you can't see the cross probably. Um, but when I come to God the Father, I'm not coming with a resume of, hey, this is, how, you know, this is what I did as a dad, or this is what I did as a pastor, or this is what I did as a husband, or whatever. I'm not coming with that. I'm coming with the robes of Jesus' righteousness on me. That's it. That's what I get. I don't even get to say, hey, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus, but I also got this really cool resume. God. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we can rest in that. So I'm going to ask us to stand, and I'm going to ask the band to come, come down. And if we've got any of our prayer team members available, uh, maybe three or four if we do. Otherwise, we won't have people come down for prayer. But if, if you're available to, on our prayer team, would you put your hand up? Anybody? Okay, one, two. Okay, we got enough then. Great. Can you guys come down too? So we're going to sing a little bit. And, and I just want to encourage you, if, if you need God's help, God's grace, God's spirit to give you the ability to repent, to stop trying to control, here's how I'm going to summarize it. Jesus is great, so I can die to my need to be in control. If that's you. I need to die to this. I need to die to this. There's an area of my life where I've been trying to control. Come, come be prayed over. Jesus paid for my acceptance so I can die to my fear of rejection. If you're dealing with rejection from somebody and you can't let it go, it's eating you alive. We're available to pray for you. God, help, help this person let it go. Let, let, the, let, their, let them rest in your acceptance, Lord. And then Jesus is gracious so I don't have to prove myself. He did it. He did it. He did it. Now, if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never trusted in him as your savior, maybe you've believed in him as a good teacher of some kind, but he's been in the same basket as other so-called prophets and teachers. Um, and today the father is drawing you to accept Jesus. You can come down and pray with these guys, or you can just pray to Jesus yourself and say, Jesus, today's a day. I'm drawing the line. I'm yours. You died for me. You're my king. No more other gods. And then I would encourage you to join us in our baptism on October 30th. It's just a way to declare I belong to him. He, he paid for me. My life is his. I'm resting in him. I'm resting in his finished work. But if you're here and you are a Christian, but you don't live like it, again, repent, repent. Jesus, I'm sorry. How do you know? How do you know? What are some symptoms? Well, maybe you wake up in the morning and you rush out of bed and you don't have time for him because you got too much going on and you're too important. You got too much to do. You don't need Jesus. You just need to, you just need to get going real hard. A couple of cups of coffee and that's it. That's, that's, that's an indication 
that you're not coming to him to rest. Or there's you know, people that you're trying to fix in your own strength. You're always a little anxious or always a little bit irritable when, when your plans get messed up. You're not resting. You're not resting. So Jesus, I pray again. I, I, I thank you that you offer rest to us. And I admit that I too often don't trust you with these things. I know you're great in my head, but I don't always see you as great, and so I try to take control. I know you paid for my acceptance, but sometimes that's not a big deal. And I try to get acceptance from other people. I know I don't have to prove myself to you. And yet I still get caught up trying to be successful or accomplish in order to justify my existence. I repent. I confess it. Help me to rest in your finished work. Help me to rest in who you are, the king who got off his throne. I pray these things in your name. Amen.